you may have heard this before. You may have done this before, maybe with your kids. You may have done this. Here is the church, and here is the steeple. Open the doors, and hear all the people. You've probably heard that before. And it's nice and cute and everything, but it gives a false sense of what the church is. And I think there's a better way to do it. And it's more like this. Here the church, here's the church, it's the people, and sometimes they meet in a building with a steeple. And I, I want you to hear that really clear because a lot of times you think a church is like, we are, you probably even said it this morning, and you probably said it in frantic, we're going to church, get ready, okay? We're going to church, okay? You're going to meet with the church, yes, but this building is not the church. This is just a building, the church is the people of God, the called out ones of God. And we have been, if you've been with us for a while, you probably know this. And if not, you're going to learn it today. And you're just coming in the flow of thought here at the church. We've gone through the seven I am statements of Christ. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what we have seen here, what we've tried to do is magnify who Jesus is. So you see that he is worthy of all your faith, devotion. He is the only way to God. He is the only way to eternal life. Jesus is the penultimate. He is God. And we are raising high the name of Jesus because here is what we believe. Before you can understand the church and who we are, and that's what this series is called, We Are, you have to understand I am. It's because of I am, because of Jesus, that we are. In other words, the church gets its identity from Jesus's identity. We are built and founded on him as the chief cornerstone built on the foundation of the of the of the apostles. We see that in Ephesians 2.20. So here's what you need to understand and get that the church gets its identity from Jesus. And Jesus is Lord. He is the I am. He is God in the flesh. And he is the son of the living God. And he calls out and defines a group of people, the church, to know him, worship him, and serve him. So the church is not a building. The church is a people called out for the glory of God and to know him and to make him known. And he defines that for us. And we need to understand what the church is and what it is not. And we need to understand who we are because of who Jesus is. If not, our identity will be lost and we won't we'll be just kind of floundering around. I think we're supposed to do this. I think we're a people who gather together on Sunday and I think we sing some songs. I don't know why we do that. And I think we do this and I'm not sure why we do that. And we we always drink some juice and a little cup together, which is weird. Have you thought about that? It's very odd. Hey you guys want to drink some juice with me? Let's all drink a little bit not not enough to like get you satisfied, just a tiny bit of juice. Before that, we're gonna eat this cracker that it tastes awful and is like styrofoam, and then we're gonna wash it with like a thimble full of juice. What on earth? And so if we don't understand Jesus, we don't understand why the church is. And you might have been hurt by a church before. You might be being hurt by a church now, which I would hate especially if it was us. But I want you to know and get a full sense of who the church is. It's the people of God called out. They're not perfect, but they're his. We understand who we are in this situation. So if you would, to kind of get us started, we're going to go in, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. We're going to pick up with Jesus here. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, and if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen here for you. 
Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He said, who, what, what do people think about my identity? And Jesus, he used the term, especially in Matthew's Gospel, Son of Man, to refer to himself. In verse 14, it says, And some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets, which is very interesting because John the Baptist is dead, and Elijah, as he's ascended to, the he- to heaven, okay? And then we got other prophets, Jeremiah, he's dead, and the other prophets, they're dead. So it's interesting. They think he's either the reincarnation of, of Jesus, which is, we even kind of goes, Jesus' reincarnation it goes against their Jewish thought, or he's a resurrected prophet. The, anyway, the, the major thing is they're confused, but they know he's holy. Why? Because he's doing holy things. Like, we've talked about these things. He multiplied bread. He took a happy meal, this kid's lunch, and he fed the multitudes. He healed the blind, raised the dead. He's doing the works of God, so they get that he is from God, at least most of them do, and even the ones who hate him, the reason they hate him so much is because he, he's shattering their understanding of God. And so we go on, verse 15, he's, and he said to them, no, 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 who do you say that I am? So I want you to, I want, who do you, my followers, he's talking to the 12 disciples, and he's saying, who do you You've been with me. You've been walking around the countryside with me. Who do you, in particular, say that I am? So it's a question of identity. In verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he answers in verse 17, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so he asked, who do people say? And they gave an answer. And then he says, disciples, you've been with me. Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds as the spokesperson for the disciples and the one who spoke first. You might be that person. I'm that person. I'll speak first, ask questions later, engage the brain later sometimes too. You, if you ever met me in person, you know that to be the case, okay? We've had a conversation. Sometimes things come out. Peter had very much that same type of personality, and in this case, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That title is very important, and it has to do with where they are. If you remember the context of where they are, they're in Caesarea Philippi, and it's named after Caesar, Caesarea, get that on there? It's named after Caesar, and Philip the Tetrarch, who's kind of the governor of that area. And so Philip named this area, which used to be called uh, Panius, okay? And we're going to talk about that's going to be important in, in a little bit. Location, location, location means a lot here. And so we in Caesarea Philippi, this is a, a city now dedicated to Caesar, who was king. And they actually, not just not did they just 
see Caesar as the king. They worshipped him as king. They had a temple in Caesarea Philippi to worship Caesar. That's one of the ways that the Romans kept power. They, their empire was vast, and it stretched from England to Asia. And they don't have an air force because that didn't exist then, <laughs> okay? So how could they get all those places at once? They use fear, like we talked about the cross. That was a way that they, is that you break the law, we'll crucify you and let you hang there until you die. I don't want to break the law. They didn't put thieves there. You stole something? That seems a little bit overkill, but that's how they maintained control was fear. And secondly, they did maintain control by demanding devotion and seeing Caesar as a god. And so they worshipped him. So in this city, Caesarea Philippi, and it's very important that, that we understand this context, when he's there, he, Jesus is called the Christ, which can be translated Messiah, or as the Old, Te the Old Testament was translated into Greek, it's called the Septuagint around this time period, a couple, you know, a couple hundred years B.C. And for all the book of Kings, you ever heard of the book of Kings in, in the Bible, Old Testament? That was the kings of Israel. You know what they called kings in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament? They called them Christos or Christ. So Peter is saying something very important when he says, you are the Christ in the, in, in the shadow of worship of an of a earthly ruler. He's saying, you are the king. You are the king above all the kings. You are Christ. And that, that, he is above every earthly power. And you know that. We've seen it in the gospel. We've seen it in the I am statements. Jesus is Lord. He is, he is Lord over every king, every political power in the world. He is sovereign over that. He's shown to be God by all of the works he performed and the most, the most, the, the most influential and the one that we can see most clearly is the resurrection that shows he is the boss. And, and Peter says, you are the king and you have a kingdom. You are the king. And then what else does Peter say in verse 16? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now let's go back to this. Caesarea Philippi used to be known as Panius, and they opened, they, they had a temple there. One of the reasons it was known as Panius, it was the center of the worship of the god Pan. You ever heard of Pan before? Maybe you haven't, maybe you have. Not talking like Peter Pan, like the, you know, the peanut butter or the character. Pan is this half goat kind of deity that they have created. And in this situation, they would have been also worshiping not just him, but they'd have a variety of gods that they would worship. And so he is saying this, not only is Jesus the Christ, he's above Caesar, he's the king over everything, over any political power. He's also this, he is the king and the son of the living God. He is God's son, uniquely God in the flesh. And he's above all these idols, even Pan. I've mentioned this before. If you go to our great city of Nashville, we have a replica of the Parthenon. You ever been there before? And they have multiple. In fact, if you go now, I mean, it doesn't look like the one in, in Greece now because time has taken its toll. But this modern replica, you see these deities that they have all just carved into the sides of it. Uh, inside you walk in, they have the Greek goddess Athena. They got Nike on the shoulder. They had all these gods, this plethora of gods. And all those gods were, were just idols that could do nothing. They just sat there. 
They worshiped him. They thought they had power over their lives, but they didn't. They were just idols. But who is, who is Peter talking about? When he talks to Jesus, he says, you're the son of the living God, not the dead idol God. Do you remember the situation with Elijah on Mount Carmel? Do you guys remember that one at all? He says, hey, why don't you call out to Baal? Remember they're having the standoff? Whose God can burn down the sacrifice? Standoff, okay? Elijah and the one true God versus Baal and all of his prophets. And so what happens? Baal and all of his prophets are dancing around, and Elijah's over there, hey, just dance a little louder. Dance a little louder. That makes no sense. Call out a little, dance a little harder, and, and call out a little louder. Maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep. And so they dance around, and they cut themselves, and they wail. And then what happens? There's no one to hear them. It's, they're, they're worshiping something that they have made. And Elijah look, he makes fun of them for a while, and he's like, once you God, do it. <laughs> Fire, and it burns up. That's my paraphrase of how that happened. And burns it up. He's the son of the living God. And I want you to see this. When Christ comes into the world, he is intersecting with people's lives, and he is bringing the living God, making him known. He is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation. He is God in the flesh. Come, and we've seen it in the I am statements, and we know it to be true. And Peter, even though he does not have a full understanding of this yet, when he is speaking these words, he is speaking truth, even though he doesn't have a full understanding. And he is saying, you are the king. You're above every earthly power, and you're the son of the living God. You are, you are the exact representation of God in the flesh, and you are living and better than any idol whatsoever. And so what you have here is Peter's confession of the Christ, and what's going to come next is going to be based on who Jesus is. Everything's based on what you think about Jesus. Who is he? There are many doubts that can creep into our minds. There are many things that people will put out there as questions about faith, about creation, many different things like that. But for me, it comes down to one major question. Who is Jesus? And when doubts arise in my heart and life, I know I run back to the resurrection. There's so much historical proof of the resurrection. Why would these people give their lives for this? The teachings of Jesus, I mean, this is, these are, this is a firsthand account. We have more accounts of this than any other, of the Bible, than any other historical, especially the New Testament, of any other historical book in the history of mankind. This is a real witness that Jesus is risen and that he is Lord. And that, that's what you run to. And so what we see here is that Jesus is the key, the foundation, the chief cornerstone of the church. And he is what everything is built is Christ. And so before you settle any other question, you have to understand and settle who is Jesus. And I hope that you see the Bible picture that Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the great I am. He's the one who brings light in the darkness. He's the one who satisfies. He is the one. He's the one. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. He's divine. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Jesus is all. He's everything. And the church is his people called out. If you look down, verse 17, and Jesus answered him. He just said, Jesus, Peter just said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is responding to that in verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood did not 
flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I want you to point out a couple things. Because Jesus Christ is, because Jesus is the Christ, the King, and the Son of God, we see he rules over all earthly powers and all spiritual powers. Because of that, we are called out by the Father to believe in Jesus Christ, the living God. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, my Father in heaven. And he goes on to say, verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word church, that's the one we're talking about, we are. The word church is the Greek word ecclesia, and it literally means called out ones, those who have been called out. It was used a lot of the time to talk about an assembly of people. And so what you need to understand here is that Jesus is saying, Peter, on who, on you, because there is a play on words here, okay? Peter's name is Petros, which mean, in Greek, which means rock. And he calls him a Petra, which means rock. And so it's a play on words. He's like, your name means rock. You know, we have a famous actor named The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. You guys know what I'm talking about? Nobody knows who The Rock is. <laughs> it's just, I don't, listen, we're holier than you. We don't watch, we don't, we're not into popular culture, okay? The Rock, you can do a play on words. Like, The Rock is actually pretty big buff dude. And so he's like, I mean, The Rock really is a rock, okay? You can kind of go to that round. And so those he's doing is a play on words. He says, I, Peter, what you have just said, which is this confession about who I am, God revealed this to you. You could not have seen it on your own. It had to have been God. And this fits with Jesus' I am statement, which says, Jesus said, no one can, this is uh, John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so, Peter, you understand who I am because God has given you direct revelation. The Father's given you direct revelation to understand and believe this. And because of that, you're Peter. And on this rock, you, I will build my church. Now, there's been a lot of misunderstandings about this. A lot of people have taken that too far. But here's the thing I want you to get. The, Peter has just made a confession, right? What was his confession in verse 16? Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There is nothing special about Peter except for he has been called out and given understanding to understand who Jesus is. And because of that, and because of his belief, God is going to use him as one of the foundational apostles to share the good news throughout the world that's coming. And he's going to say that, the, that the, in fact, go to Ephesians 2.22, it says that the church's foundation is the apostles and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So this is not talking about, as some would say, is like giving Peter some special place. Peter is special because he has been, it's been revealed to him that Jesus is the Christ. 
It's not special in his person. He's special in that he he's been called out by God to believe it and to be given a special place to be this apostle like him and the other apostles you see in the book of Acts. And on this on this foundation, this church is going to be built. So we get this word church, and so he says, because of who I am and because of who you are, Peter, I'm going to build on this foundation a church. And this this is funny. It's there's there's mixed metaphors here, okay? And he says, I'm going to build this church. This group of people, I'm going to build up these called out people, those who have been called out of darkness, those who believe in Jesus. I'm going to bring them out and make for myself an assembly. And then he makes some very, very strong statements in here in verse 18. He says, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, I will build my church. I will build my group of people to worship me. I will build this group of called out ones to come and to worship me. And it's a, it's a statement of fact. It's going to happen. We make statements of fact all the time that may or may not come true, but we say them like they're going to happen. We do it all the time. I'll see you in a little while. Maybe. You ever thought about that? You could die. I know we jumped to that, but it's possible. You're not controlling your heartbeat right now. Now you're thinking about it. I just mentioned it. Just stop. It happens. I hope it doesn't happen. That would be an awful church service, okay? If someone just went down. But it could happen. You could be stopped by a car accident. You could be stopped by tripping over something. You could be stopped by any number of things. You could be stopped by your child, especially if you have an infant. It just seemed like every time we were trying to go anywhere, Judson was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom on you and mom and everybody. When he was a baby, not now, because that would be weird. He's five now. Judson's my son, in case you didn't know that. But you got that. You could be delayed by any number of things, car problems. Rainstorm, flash floods, swarm of locusts, donkey in the road. I had that happen at my house the other day. I couldn't get through because I had my neighbor's donkey was out. I was like, okay, fantastic. Any number of things can, and I hope you don't have a donkey incident today. That would not be good for anyone. Any number of things can stop you. Jesus, because he has the authority, says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, I will build my assembly of people who have called out. I will build them. I will build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so there's a lot of interpretive challenges to this passage, but I want to get this idea. The gates are usually in a defensive posture. And so what we have here is that there's this group of assembly of people who are called out of darkness to worship the one true God, and it's Jesus calling them out. And then we are on this mission to assault the gates of hell with the good news of the gospel, not with anything we have in us, but with this good news. And Jesus says, I will build my church. And I want you to get this. Peter's confession that Jesus is the Son of God, where does it come from? Does it come from him? Does it come from his smarts? Does it come from his ability? What does it come from? The revelation of God, the Father. Look with me again in verse 16. I want to just make this really clear. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And verse 17, Jesus answered, blessed are you. Why are you blessed, Peter? Simon, son of Jonah. Remember, he's the son of the living God. Now you're the son of Jonah. 
You, who's, who's revealed this to you? I have divine origin. You have earthly origin. Who revealed this to you that you would understand this, Peter? And he goes this. He says, for flesh and blood, people didn't reveal this to you. Not anything earthly. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, which is fitting with the I am statement, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so you hear this, that, that if you're a part of the people of God, you have been supernaturally born again to believe in his name. And now you are this peculiar people called out, not for yourself. You have a different king. You have a different Lord. Your ultimate president is not the president of the United States of America. Your ultimate king is Jesus. You live for his kingdom, no matter what happens. Not only that, your ultimate God is now the son of the living God and not the God of your own understanding or the God you make up or the God you want to follow or the Jesus that you, that you want to make up or you choose your own Jesus, okay? That's not who it is. It's the son of the living God, and you're called out from that. So I want you to see that because Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, we are a people called out by the Father to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And it's a supernatural thing if you believe that unto faith, unto salvation. Because who revealed it to Peter? He's a son of a guy. Son of Jonah, son of John. Who revealed that to him? It wasn't flesh and blood. It was the Father. So here's, what, what do I mean by that? Does that mean there's so many people that put trust and confidence in feelings? Do you realize how dangerous it is to put your, your spiritual life in the control of your own feelings? It's amazing. If I put, <laughs> you just do that in anything. Can you imagine if your relationship with your child based, were based on your feelings for that person or for that child at every moment? Because there are times that you are like, this is the best child ever. You're like, everybody, come and see what I have created. This wonderful child. It obeys. And it does what it's supposed to do. And then it goes crazy. I have permanent markers and you got walls. I don't want to put on my costume. Tantrum. Something against the wall. You're embarrassing me, mom and dad. Listen, I just want to, you won't let me on Snapchat? I like to Snapchat all the time because this is my favorite Snapchat thing. Okay, why is it that everyone po like sticks their tongue out when they do that? You look crazy. Looks like you have like some problem. Or you're going to put, look, now I'm a deer because of the filter, okay? I'm a beautiful princess deer. We've gotten a long way from that. But you know, you're, and then you look at your kid like, can you talk to me for the love of everything that's holy and good instead of being on that brick in your hand? And you love them, but at the same time, if it was based on your feelings, you would kick your kids out of the house. Never let them back in sometimes. It's like, here, go move to Ecuador. Let's just get out of here. I bought you a plane ticket. It's ridiculous to make it all about your feelings. This is a belief, a supernatural belief that once, at one point, you hear now, like, maybe the words of Jesus, maybe you were just deaf to them, but now you've come to believe in him. And it's, it's somewhere down in you that you just, that's right. That is the story of my life right there. That is what I need for salvation. That is who Christ 
is, and it's a supernatural work of God, and we bend into it with our wills. We press in by saying, yes, Lord, I believe by faith. And that's who the people of God are. We're not these people with wild, ecstatic experiences necessarily. We are these people who have all of our, everything about our faith and everything that hangs on the finished work of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's who we are, and we're called out by the Father to believe in him. We are called to have one allegiance and one allegiance only. And not only that, we are a people on a mission. And if you go down, verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Look in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I think about this. He says, like, I'm going to give you the keys. You bind things on earth. They'll be bind, bound on earth and loose them. They'll be loosed, and the same thing happens in heaven. This is a very interesting, hotly debated idea here. But I, wanna, I, think, I think we can understand it this way, is if you've ever been in those situations where you are just, you've just turned 16 or you know somebody who's just turned 16 or maybe you're about to turn 16 out there in the crowd and your, your parents hand you the keys to the car, there's responsibility and there is somewhat of power behind it. You can use it irresponsibly. You can do this. And what was really being said here is that as my church and as my apostle Peter, and, and first off, Peter is not the only one who has the keys. In Matthew 18, it's going to be all the disciples have the keys. And if you understand it, I think, properly, you'll understand this later, that every person in Christ has the keys to the kingdom because we're all prophets and priests unto God. It's this. We have this message about Christ, this life-giving, soul-freeing Connection, connecting with God message, which is the gospel. It's the finished work of Christ and, what the, and that we attain it. We, we come to, to know it and its benefits by faith alone, through grace alone. That comes to us as, and it's pictured here as keys. Here you go, kids. Take the car. Doesn't mean that Jesus is not in the, in, in the, in the mix or the Spirit's not in the mix. He's saying that God has given and entrusted his people with this mission and message. Our number one mission and message is to make Jesus known, to worship him, make him known, and make the gospel known. So here's what we don't necessarily exist for. We don't exist to make you have a better life. The church is not a self-help center. It's not. This is, as some people, the sermon and the preaching and teaching of the church is not like some kind of weird group therapy, as some would postulate. It's not. It's not how you can live your best life now. It's not any of that. It is for the people of God to know God through his word and for them to be about the mission of God. That is the mission of the church. It's not to please any power group or to appease those who are on the religious right or the left. The church exists to share the gospel, to make it known through good works and good deeds, and to be on mission. So here's the thing. When we ask ourselves this question about when we do it, especially if you've gone, and I've been in the situation where we assess the church, it's like, we've maybe said this, is it meeting my needs? Maybe that's not a good question. Maybe it should be, are these, is this church teaching the Bible? 
Are they attempting to? They're doing their best they can to teach the Bible? And are, on they, are they on mission for God? Those are the two questions you need to ask. They teach the Bible, and are they on mission for God? What's the mission? To make Jesus known. I've given you the keys, keys to the kingdom, and you have the power and the ability when you share the gospel. And the Spirit's working through here that when you preach, it makes people alive, and sometimes it closes off hearts. That's the, the Word of God, it usually has one of two things. Either people are like, no thank you, or that's the best thing I ever heard. And that's, that's all has to do with the sovereign will of God. I don't get it, but it's like, here, kids, here, church. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it together. I'm going to make this church up. It's consistent of believers and believers who have this mission to go out, to make Jesus known, and to bring in other believers, to unlock the, unlock the cages of those who are trapped by sin, to open the to loose the eyes of those who are blinded by sin through the Spirit of God and have them come into the kingdom. And by some, well, by, by locking it up here, and, and it means you bind and loose, okay? One of the things is sometimes when you preach the good news, it makes people angry and makes them harder, which the disciples will see, and most of them will be killed because of it. But our job is not necessarily the results, but the faithfulness in it to make him known. That's why we exist. And if we don't do that, if we don't realize why we exist, then we can add a whole bunch of things. You know what would be good? We should, add, we should just make a, a gym here. People could get working out. They could have a healthier life now. And if we don't have a purpose and we don't know what about, we're like, that sounds like a good idea. More people will come here if we put a racquetball court in. That would be fantastic. We could play racquetball and stay fit. The Bible says that we're supposed to be, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we've got to keep it in good working order, and that's what we're going to do. And then you're like, what does that have to do with the mission of God? And if you could tell us how the mission of God can be propagated by a racquetball, then we can do it. But if not, you're just building a church. You're building a racquetball onto a church that's weird. If you have no identity and you don't know who you are, you do whatever. Right? It's like if Chili's cleaning. Are you here to eat, or would you like your dry cleaning? Yes. After I eat and I spill things on myself, I'm going to dry clean, okay? Maybe that makes more sense than I'm thinking about, but it would be insane. It's insanity. And so understanding who we are in Christ, he's the penultimate, he's the, he's the, the center, he's the, he's the king, he's the one who we worship and we're all about. We are these called out people, these believing people who have been called out of darkness, where our, light, our eyes have been opened to the, to, from the blindness of sin to the glory of God. We have been forgiven, and now we are people on a mission from God, okay, on a mission from Jesus that hell can't stop. And I have a question for you. Do you want to be a part of what God's doing in the world? Do you want to be a part of what God's doing in the world? And most of us... I know, it's Sunday morning, you could be anywhere else. And, and we're like, yeah, I want to be a part of what God's doing in the world. Of course I do. I do. I'm going to argue that unless you are willing to be plugged in and available and settled and all in into a local church, not necessarily even this one. We'd love for you that to be the case, but a local church that teaches the Bible and makes much of Jesus, you aren't doing what God has for you to do. 
because he didn't say, I will build my church through all of your individual efforts. What is he building? An assembly of people called out, represented by local bodies of believers. And that is the people he's called. Do you want to be a part? Well, then be a part of the church. And the second thing is this. If you are a part of the church, this is what you need to ask. Are you willing to pay the price to be involved with a church that's on mission? Let me say that again. Are you willing to pay the price of a church that's on mission? Because if you look in the book of Acts and you look at other places, the church on mission does some really hard things, some really sacrificial things. And Clint, you can come on up, man. And here's the things, some of the things it does. It gives sacrificially. Not just to the church, but also to causes and missions. It's, it gives. So there's a monetary cost to following. There's also an emotional cost. You know, and it's, it, it's also, like, we like to be involved in things with no emotional attachments. We do. I don't want to be a part of the church because there's just drama. If you said that, you might be a drama causer, okay? Because usually that's the only person thinking about drama is one who causes drama. It's free. Maybe not. Maybe you're just one of those people that really doesn't like it. Okay. The other part is this. If I get, it's going to get messy. People are messy. The church is messy. People don't always do what you want them to do. People will rub you the wrong way. People will do these things. But here is the bottom line. This is God's plan, and these are God's people because we believe and we're on mission. And so if you're going to be, this is the cost, is the cost of jumping in with a bunch of messy people to accomplish the mission of God. You hear me? That's it. I know this is a little hard for us to think about, but unless we are willing to dive in, God's going to build his kingdom and he's going to build his church no matter what. My question is we will miss it if we don't dive in together. If we don't decide we're going to be committed to prayer, committed to worship together, committed to the Bible, committed to the mission, committed to give, committed to know, committed to serve, committed to go do things that, that aren't, aren't really sexy, to help and clean up the kids' area. That's not always fun. To take the diapers out from downstairs. To get the mold out of the refrigerators, because it happens. To take the garbage out. To do whatever it takes to make the body of Christ be on the mission to help bind and loose, to, to spread the gospel everywhere. And my, my question is, do you want to be? Do you want to be on mission? Do you want to be used of God? Do you want to be about what God's doing in the world? Well, here is where you start with the people that are right here assembled. Because we're called out to believe in his name. We're called out for his mission. Because of I am, we are the people called out to worship God and to make him known. And what we're going to do on this series is we're going to give you at times a little soul space to kind of kind of deal with this. And so at the end of every message, we're going to have a little time of singing, and you can let it, the song be sung over you. You can sing together. But Clint's going to lead us a couple times to the chorus of Rain in Us, and we're just going to ask God in these moments as we sing together, 
God, would you reign? So let's stand together. And Clint, you lead us, bud. Oh, great and mighty one, with one desire we come. Father, we come and we, our desire is that you would reign in us. We don't want to live for ourselves any longer. We don't want to live for what's most convenient to us, but we want to live on mission for you. And so, Lord, let us understand who you are so that we can understand who we are. We pray that you bless this, this sermon series and our time of worship today and as going forward, that you would conform us to the image of your son, that we might be a church that is more pure, that is more conformed to your image, that is like you. We got a long way to go. But God, we know that you want to transform us. So we're here. We're asking you to reign. You are king over every earthly power and every spiritual domain. But we want you to reign in this place. We want to see that reign. We want your kingdom to come to earth, your will to be done as it is in heaven. So let your will be done in this place. Let us worship you and find a heart that is more worshipful and to take your name to the nations and the world and to Hartsville and to our, our jobs and our communities and our schools. Help us, Lord. We do this all for you. We live for you. Thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And we say glory to, glory to the Son of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, we're going to stand and be dismissed with these words. This is Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Walk in the victory. You're dismissed.